take this time this morning to watch God move, to step into his presence. Remember those walls we call sin and shame They were like prisons that we couldn't escape But He came and He died and He rose Those walls are rubble now Remember those giants we call death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But He came and He died and He rose Those giants are dead now Let's declare this church, this is our God
today and forever. Amen? It's the same God.
Yeah.
take a moment to pause right now. And maybe the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart, doing some work. We wanna provide an opportunity for some of our leaders and prayer warriors to come down. And they're just gonna be right at the front of the stage. You guys can do that now. As we continue these next three songs, we want those that are wrestling, that are struggling, that need prayer for someone to walk alongside you, be praying along with you to offer this time. So this morning we pray for breakthrough like never before. We pray for freedom like never before. And we pray for victory in Jesus like never before. I'm gonna say that one more time. We pray for breakthrough this morning, church. We pray for victory this morning, church, and we pray for freedom, because maybe there's something that has been just hidden in the depths of your soul, and this is the morning to be able to bring it to light and to bring God in the midst. Let us pray with you. Come as you are and know that you're loved.
And that invitation is still there at church. You need prayer this morning. We'll also offer at the end of the service, we'll also have some prayer warriors down here to be able to come forward at the end of the conclusion of the gathering this morning. There's nothing impossible for you. We lean on you. We trust you. Behold the Lamb upon the cross who takes away the sins of forgiveness flows from hands and feet. Silence meets the Prince of
sing that chorus, church. And light of the world, land that
Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. Good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you're new to us, my name is David. Welcome. We're so glad that you are here. I do this thing afterwards where I hang out in the patio. I'd love to meet you, put a face with the name, kind of get your story as to how you heard about our church and things of that nature. So please don't be shy. And if you're one of the regulars, don't take up so much time so everybody else can uh, get a chance to say hello. The hardest thing for me in the world is when I see somebody who walks away. Oh, it's like, it's like, it's the worst thing ever. Uh, but then I have lunch and get over it. So um, anyway, welcome. We're glad that you are with us today. If you are in the video venue right now, thank you. Or if you're on your, maybe you're walking away, you're over right now from the video venue. Take it in worship over there, a little, little bit more subdued in, in nature. And then coming up for the, uh, for the message now, thank you. If you're watching online, we're so excited that you are hanging out with us. And again, i just like to mention those. If for some reason you weren't available this week and you're watching on Wednesday or Thursday, that's why we have the vehicle for you. We're just excited that you're continuing to participate with with us. Well, listen, um, the Hurtado family got a new pet about six months ago. Uh, we got a new dog. Uh, her name is Bellatrix. Uh, kids named her after some Harry Potter character or something. Bellatrix is her name. We have another dog named Sophia. Sophia's 10 years old. Sophia's awesome. She's a great dog, except for she sheds a little bit. Uh, but, you know, in case the unmentionable thing happens, we decided to get another dog. So, you know, in case that happens. If it happens. Anyway, and so we got Bellatrix, and uh, her name is Bellatrix. I call her Beelzebub. Um, Beelzebub, in case you don't know, is another biblical name for, the, for Satan, is what it is. And, uh, and uh, I call her Beelzebub because she acts all sweet and adorable and cuddly, and if you were to come over, she'd undoubtedly jump on your lap and sit with you and lick your face, and she's got all the kisses in the world, and she's, she wants to nap on you. She's a cuddly dog. She's a fun dog to be around until you leave. And if you leave for two hours, she gets into everything and tears everything up. Uh, there's nothing, no, stern, no stone is left unturned with her. She grabs everything that you can imagine. And God forbid that she finds a toilet paper because she thinks it's her job to create confetti. Like literally we'll come home and there's confetti everywhere, everywhere. Uh, uh, this is my sandal. See if we can get a close up on this Cooper. Uh, it's, it's, uh, can we get real close? Good job, Cooper. Give it up for Cooper. <laughs> it is a 49er sandal, and if you could see real close, it's like the bottom is chewed out of it over here. So my heel touches the ground when I walk. Last year, I went on the Amazon and spent, spent a, a, an extra dollar or two to get these beautiful things, and, and now my dog chewed on it. 
And so what I do is I take the sand and I go, here, here, belly, do you want it? Do you want it? Here, it looks like you want it. Why don't you have it? And she goes, oh, no, 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 please, 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 please leave me alone. And that's how I train the dog to stay away from my sandals. I give her the sand, give her the sandal. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was an LA Ram sandal, who would care, right? But it's a 49er sandal. They're gonna win the Super Bowl this year. We're gonna party with Lombardi, baby. And she chewed on my sandal. I kid you not, this morning, before, I already had this illustration, like already, you know, ready to go. And this morning I walk out to the living room, and you know what I find? A dead rotent in my living room. She had gone outside, found a rodent, it was alive, I'm sure, brought it home, it's no longer alive, and it's just like this. And of course, I did the manly thing and leave that for my family to clean up. You know, I think about why, why did we get, so anyway, there is, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, obviously there is a listing on Craigslist for a free dog, in case you guys are, 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 I'm just kidding, my wife would kill me if we got rid of that dog. But listen, I think of a good dog, and I think of my dog, Sophia. Like, she's a good dog. I say, go outside, she goes outside. I say, come inside, she comes inside. I say, potty outside, she potties outside. Sophia is such a compliant and well-trained dog that I can go on a walk or a jog with her and I don't need a leash. Small little thing, she runs about five to 10 feet in front of me and we're going, whatever, and comes to the corner and she gets to the corner and she turns around and looks at me as if to say, where do we go now? And I go, go that way. And then she goes that way. Literally, that's what happens with my Sophia dog. That's how wonderful of a dog she is and why I call Beelzebub, Beelzebub. So compliant. I think of like, what do I want in a dog? I want what you see in the movies. You know, like, uh, you know, they, they, they go outside in the morning, they bring you the paper. That's what I want. I bring me my, 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 like, my, my, uh, my morning sandals. What do you call those things that you warm up your feet? Slippers. Bring me my slippers in the morning. That's what I want. I want like Lassie who, who protects you from a fire. That's what I want in a dog, right? I want, and if she could make coffee and toast, I'd be even better. But Bellatrix has not gotten the memo on that one at all. And so we've listed her on Craigslist. Uh, I mention this because if you're lucky, you can train a dog to your liking. Anybody have a well-trained dog, a compliant dog? Yeah? Um, uh, and, uh, And sometimes I wonder if we approach God in a similar way. Like this whole thing with God I'm in this whole thing with God because I'm hoping that I can have him do my bidding. Uh, this would be the ouch factor of faith. Uh, something inside of us tells us that we, this shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be this way. And yet all of us can attest to how we've struggled with that at one time or another. A- am I serving this God or am I having this God serve me? Am I serving this God and his purposes or is God here to serve me and my purposes? And sometimes if we're not careful, we can approach God like we would a pet that we have. You're here to make me happy or else I'm putting you on Craigslist. If we're not careful, we can have that. Well, if you can't train God to do your bidding, then how can you elicit a response from him, especially in difficult times? What is the appropriate way to approach God? Like what if we were concerned about his purposes and his glory rather than our own? How would he respond if we wanted his way rather than our way, his fame over our fame? What does it look like to be more concerned about God and his purposes and his glory than my own purposes and my own glory? And that's what we're going to be looking at today in 1 Samuel. I I, I ask you to open up your Bibles right now. If you brought a Bible, you make me happy. 
and open it up, get to uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're looking at verses 1 through 15. Again, I know many of you have phones. Open those up to get to the app and open up and read along with us, highlight and circle, all those type of things that just enhance our ability to saturate ourselves in the Word of God, marinate in it, and then let it change our lives. So we, we are a Bible-believing church, so I hope you bring a Bible and I hope you follow along with us. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 together. And the overarching question is, what are some ways that we can elicit God's response during distressing times in our lives? You got to remember the context of where we are in 1 Samuel. It's a very distressing time. They are cornered on all sides. There are 30,000 troops all around them, cornering them, embargo type of thing, ready to fight and ready to go to war. Saul has jumped the gun, tried to force God's hand of favor on them, and that's why it's a time of great distress. Well, you can't do that with God. He's not gonna respond to that. And so we're cornered on all sides. We got 600 troops compared to 30,000 scattered troops three or four different garrisons of troops waiting for us, and that's the distressful time. So what are some ways that we can elicit God's response during distressing times in our lives? And the first thing we're gonna see is that he responds when we desire whose purposes? His purposes. He responds when we desire his purposes. Now, this is hard because it's our own distressing time and all we see is us and I, I'm just looking horizontally and it doesn't feel too good. But God responds when we, when we desire his purposes, not our purposes. Like there's sometimes he has something in mind for your current situation that you don't see and you gotta desire that more than you desire your own out in this problem. You desire his purposes more than you desire your own purposes. For this, we're going to see verses 1 through 12 together. Uh, Read along, or, or watch as I read along. It says this, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, be the armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the, to the Philistine garrison on the other side. So his response to being uh, completely uh, um, cornered on each side is, Let's go over there. But he did not tell his father, and probably because he thought his father wouldn't let him go. And so Saul was staying in the, uh, the, the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, and Shiloh wearing the ephod, or an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Seneth. One crag rose onto the north in front of Nixmash, and the other on the south in front of Gibeah, or, or Jeba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And maybe the Lord will work for us and nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I'd love for you to underline that, circle that, highlight that if you have a highlighter. Uh, Maybe that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. There's only two of us, but I'm not worried about that. God can still use us and give us the victory. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you in heart and soul. And Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still 
and in our place, and we will not go up to them. We won't go for battle. But if they say, come on to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and it shall be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines says, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves, and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us, and we will show you a thing or two. Um, the idea is that they thought they would be able to take them out. And Jonathan said to the armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. We'll stop there. What are some ways that we can elicit God's response during distressing times in our lives? The first one we see is that God responds when we desire his purposes, not our purposes. When I'm more concerned about what he's got going on, his purpose, his glory, his namesake, uh, his plan more than my plan, then you can have the blessing of God and you can elicit a response from God. There's a comparison going on between Saul and between Jonathan in our text. Uh, and it's all over the text. Uh, you're seeing two different responses to being completely encircled by 30,000 troops. Jonathan goes quietly without a military reinforcement to check out the Philistine garrison post. You think about it, there's two, him and his armor bearer, they're, they're outmanned, they're, 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 they're outgunned, and yet they're saying, we're not worried about that, we're going to go check this thing out. We believe God can give us the victory even if there's only two of us. Saul, on the other hand, is sitting by a fruit tree. Uh, pomegranates were highly prized fruit. He's guarded by 600 troops, accompanied by the high priest and an unused ephod. Now, there is a lot of, uh, of description going on here that we need to dive into so we can understand the, the comparison and contrast real well. An ephod was this garment that the high priest would wear uh, and this garment would have a, a pocket that would have something called an Iram Thummin. And it was used of um, oracle consultation. The idea is when you had this ephod on, there was this pocket that you could grab a token in and out of that pocket. And you would be able to solicit God in whatever endeavor you're, you're, you're at. God, do you want to speak to us right now? They take the, the thing out of the pocket and they, they think it was either like maybe like a, a dice or, or a coin, black, white, something like that going on. Uh, if it says, yes, I want to speak to you, you put it back in. Do you want us to go into battle? You take it out and you could have kind of like some guidance from God. And it seems that the author is going out of his way saying, listen, here is Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree with the high priest and an unused ephod. He's not even asking God what to do in this situation. He's just sitting there eating fruit. And by the way, the priest is Ichabod's brother. That's another little detail in there. If you remember Ichabod early in uh, uh, 1 Samuel is a name that means the glory has departed. And it's the author's way of introducing irony into the text. Where else would Saul be except for hanging out with glory be gone? Because uh, the glory has left Saul and Saul doesn't have the favor of God. And of course he wants something to do with God. He's not even using the high priest who's sitting right there with this piece of wardrobe that's supposed to allow him to ask of God and God would give him an answer on whether to move forward or not. He's not even thinking about that. But Jonathan is running towards going through mountainous areas trying to see if there's something that can be done for the glory of God. 
Jonathan takes the rocky terrain and this rocky situation, and he determines that these are ideal circumstances. I know there's two of us and 30,000 of them split up in three different ways. Okay, maybe it's two versus 10,000. Whatever. I think this is opportune for us. Let's move forward. And he runs towards the rocky terrain, and he asks his armor bearer, who would be somebody who would be like a brave and loyal apprentice, hey, uh, I know we're outgunned. I know we're uh, outmanned. And we're playing on their home turf because we're kind of running towards their garrison. Do you want to go forward? Who would say yes to that? We're outgunned, we're outmanned, and we're playing on their home turf. Who wants to move forward? But this is a situation that Jonathan finds himself in with this loyal understudy, and the loyal understudy says, yes, let's move forward. I want us to go back to verse 6 through verse 8 and catch this. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. You can underline that, highlight that, because that's significant. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by what? Few. I'm not worried that we're outgunned. I'm not worried that we're outmatched. I'm not worried uh, that we're outmanned. God, if he comes through for us, will make sure that he will receive his own glory. He refers to them, refers to them as uncircumcised. And, and this is not like a, a, uh, um, a shouting match of words. It's not like him being derogatory toward them. He's just being uh, literal. Uh, the idea is they are not participants of the Abrahamic covenant. And because they're not participants in the Abrahamic covenant, they don't get the protections thereof. He's actually saying something very theological here. We are God's people uh, in the Abrahamic covenant, if we're following through the Mosaic covenant, then we have certain protections by God. They don't have them. So I don't care if they have 10,000 people. We have God, is the idea. We have God's favor when we're serving God's purposes. Nothing can hinder God's purposes, whether we're fighting with many or fighting with few. Now, this is where the great faith comes in for Jonathan. And in fact, there's a a juxtaposition between uh, Saul and Jonathan. Here's Jonathan in great faith, and here's Saul hanging out eating some fruit on a fruit tree. All right? And and it's probably because Jonathan knows other passages in the Bible, like Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 8. It says this, five of you shall chase down a hundred. A hundred of you shall shall put 10,000 to fight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. And there's other passages like that too. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, where God promises when you are, uh, you are my people, Abrahamic covenant, and we're, when you're following through the Mosaic covenant, then you can know when you're following me that I promise to protect and provide for you. And that's the agreement uh, between God and Israel. It's a covenant. It's a signed contract in, in our common terms. And so he knows these things. He also knows something else that we've discussed a lot, especially when we're in the Old Testament. And there's there's something called the divine warrior motif. Meaning when there is a physical battle on the earth between two different uh, groups, like this one would be Israel versus the Philistines, what's going on is more than just that physical battle. It's a personification of the gods of those two people groups. And he's saying to himself, I know our God is not gonna show the world that we lose the Philistine gods because they're false gods. 
Our God will win. So in this physical battle, I believe, have faith in God. He says he will defend us if we're following and abiding in the Mosaic coming. I'm following and abiding. And so I'm going to represent Israel. I know God will come through. Our God is stronger. He will win. And so he says to his little understudy, hey, do you want to go forward? And the understudy says, hey, I'm with you the whole way. In heart, body, and soul, let's move. I agree with you. The literal ideas are I'm with you according to your heart. I see what you're saying. Our God's bigger. Uh, our God promised us that he'd come through, and I'm willing to go with you. Well, then Jonathan comes up and postulates this ridiculous plan, and there's no other way to describe it. It's an absolutely ridiculous plan to tell him and his little understudy whether or not God will give them favor in this battle. I want you to see this in verse 8. Come back to verse 8 through 10 with me where it says this. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. We won't go for battle. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. We'll stop there. An absolutely ridiculous plan. Number one, they're, they're in this rock terrain. Uh, uh, one of the rocks means very sharp. The other, one, the other rock means very bright. And the idea is they're just treacherous rocks uh, where they're climbing. And instead of uh, um, having the element of surprise, they're going to show themselves to the, to the Philistines. Hey, we're over here. And then they say, here's what we're going to do. If they tell us to wait here in the midst of our rocky terrain, which is like impossible to pass, that's why they have those, those ideas of the rocky side and the bright side and the north. And it's just this is crazy business, being in the midst of these rocks, much less having a battle. If they say to us, wait there, we're coming to you, then we know we shouldn't fight them. But if they say, come here, come to us, we have something for you, then we know that we should fight them. Now, here's the obvious thing. Of course they're going to say, come to us. They're not going to say, hey, wait there. We'll go into that rocky terrain. Their one strategic place of battle is the rocky terrain, right? That's the only place they could be. So they lose the element of surprise. They're going to lose their strategic place. But if they say, come to us, then we know God has given them into our hands. He is setting this thing up perfectly so that if they were to win the battle, there's no other explanation except for God was in it. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to make a sentence of God. You have to be, it has to be all you. That's how much his faith is great. And so they show themselves, they're out man, they're out gun, they lose the element of surprise, and then uh, he, they tell them to come forward, uh, losing their only strategic advantage, which was to be, be expected. And the idea was that this is so absurd that it could only work if God is involved. Once they show themselves to the Philistines, the Philistines say, come forward, which is expected. Apparently, the Philistines were so overconfident that they assumed that the Israelites were starting to surrender rather than to, rout, uh, to rot in the holes in the rocks where they were hiding. Oh, look, they're coming forward. We got them surrounded. It's 30,000 of us, 600 of them. Finally, they give up. They don't want to rot in the holes they're in, so they're coming forward. Let's let them come forward, and we'll take them out. Jonathan views this as an invitation and a sign from God that he's given them into their hands. Now, understand that Jonathan isn't seeking his own greatness here. He's seeking the greatness of God. It's, it's very much in line with 
Um, he's almost like a type of David that would come later in our storyline where David takes on Goliath and says, uh, you know what, I, I don't believe, I don't care how big you are, our God's bigger than yours and there's no way that our God's gonna let us fail. It's the same kind of idea. I'm not looking for my own greatness, I'm looking for his greatness. Not my namesake, but his namesake. He, written all over it is the idea that I'm, I'm going after the purposes of God, the glory of God, the plan of God. God must be greater. His, fun, his fame should be greater, my, not mine, not me, but him. Now this flies in the faith of our, face of our own kind of societal values. I don't know if you've ever considered that. I can prove it to you uh, just by uh, some things that have happened in contemporary times. Like Rocky Balboa beats Apollo Creed in Rocky II, and he gets the microphone and he says, Joe Adrian, we did it. Muhammad Ali upsets Sonny Liston at 22 years old and declares, I am the, what? Greatest. Ricky Henderson breaks Lou Brock's career record in stolen bases in 1991, a record that will probably never be broken again, and he declares after he steals that base, today I'm the greatest of all time. We have a culture that just loves to be great, and we want to be great. Greatness is about us. Kanye West, Yeezy, has declared himself the greatest artist of all time. Most of the NFL world would easily recognize Tom Brady as the GOAT, which stands G-O-A-T, stands for the greatest of all time because he has won seven Super Bowls in 10 tries. 10 of his 22 years in the league ended with a Super Bowl appearance. That's only almost 50% of the time he went to the Super Bowl. He would be considered the greatest of all time. We are raised in a society that is addicted to the idea of being great, and yet Jonathan is more worried about God's greatness than he is about his own greatness himself. This would be the counter-cultural uh, principle of the scriptures. It's not about me being great. It's about him being great. And I'm more worried about him being great than me being great. That's the kind of heart that God responds to. I'm worried about his greatness, his purposes, his glory over my own. Well, what are some ways that we can elicit God's response in distressing times in our lives? Number one, we see that he responds when we desire his purposes. And, and the second one's kind of like it. He also responds when we fight for his glory. He responds when we fight for his glory. I want you to see this in a couple of little verses, uh, starting in verse 13. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and the armor bearer after him. This is a treacherous uh, um, uh, terrain that they're navigating and then they're gonna have to fight after that. And then they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, the first at, and, and that first strike, Jonathan and his armor bearer made, uh, killed more than 20 men, or killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furlough's length of an acre of land, like half an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp and in the field and among all the people and the garrison, even all the raiders, this would be your attack crews, trembled and the earth quaked and it became a very great panic. What are some ways that can elicit God's response in distressing times in our lives? Well, he responds when we fight for his glory. And Jonathan and an armor bearer expend much energy climbing up this treacherous train towards the Philistines which is another advantage for them. But even so, the Lord hands them over. Two of them killed 20 and a half acre of space. This is cause for great panic in ancient times. If you were to lose a battle where you were 10 to one odds, you would think that your God is not involved. 
what happened here that our God wasn't with us? What if our God isn't with us in this campaign where we've surrounded the Israelites? How is it that two men took out 20 men with inferior weapons? Not only that, a great panic comes over the Philistine camp after God ordains an earthquake. And again, ancient times, trembling of the earth was an indication of divine involvement in the battle. So whatever Jonathan was thinking would happen, happened. Whether it's few or whether it's many, God can come through for his glory. Uh, we, we serve a God who's bigger than their God, and so we're going to trust that he can come through. Not for us, not for us to be great, but for his name to be great, for him to be worshipped. Well, that brings us to the big idea, and, and, I, and I phrase this kind of specifically, so I hope you'll, you'll, you'll watch it with me. When God comes through in a moment of great distress and in response to great faith, he gets the glory. When God comes through in a moment of great distress, remember the distress around them, they got, they're surrounded by 30,000 troops, and in response to great faith, that's Jonathan having great faith, he's the one who gets the glory. Now, I said that very specifically, and I want to read it one more time. When God comes through in a moment of great distress, and in response to great faith, he gets the glory. And, and why am I being so specific about that? Because I think many would be tempted to, to, to state this in a low-hanging fruit way. Like, like, if you simply have faith in God, you'll be victorious. When you have faith in God, you're victorious. Well, I, I think there's some truth to that, but I also know that there are a lot of folks who've displayed great faith and gotten the answer, no. What do we do with them? Well, I have had faith, and God didn't come through, and I didn't get the victory. Can God? Yes. Does God all the time? Maybe not. Maybe he has different purposes in different situations. That's why I say when God comes through in a moment of great distress, and in response to great faith, when he does that, he gets the glory. And in fact, there are many people who have lived through the agony of being told that the reason they didn't get the victory, and the reason they didn't have their healing, and the reason they didn't get the money, and the reason they didn't get the promotion, the reason they don't have a successful career, and the reason they didn't get the award, and the reason they don't have the status is because they don't have enough faith. And the agony of that, wait, I, I, I guess it's my fault that I didn't, because I don't have enough faith. You must remember that Israel had a different agreement and covenant with God. We've talked about this a lot in the series, and we will anytime we're in the Old Testament. There was a covenant between God. You are my people. Yes, Abrahamic covenant. I will bless you. Yes, Abrahamic covenant. Mosaic covenant. If and when you follow me, I will protect and provide. Take it to the bank. It's a promise of God. Jonathan had a promise of the scriptures that I don't know that you have because we come to God by way of a different covenant. I think it's a better covenant. It's not based on any merit of our own. In fact, he promises to us regardless of merit. We bring our marks of sinfulness and he erases them with the blood of Christ. This isn't a if you then me. This is a even when you don't, I am still there to cover you. And I'll get to that covenant a little later for those of you guys who may be new to the Christian worldview. He had a different promise from God and I'm not sure that I can say for certain that if you believe today, you're gonna to get whatever it is you want. I'm not sure that I can say to you that if you just believe in God, he will come through for you, and this will work out exactly the way you think it should work out. I can tell you this, if you believe in God, that he will get glory. Can you put that back on the screen? The big idea? When God comes through in a moment of great distress, and in response to great faith, he gets the glory. 
The whole thing focuses on him and his glory, not me and mine. You get that? Him and his glory, not me and mine. Whether or not this works out the way I think it should work out. Whether I'm so, I'm, I feel cornered in this thing. When is God going to come through? It's not about you. It's about him getting glory. That's what the point is. And again, we find this juxtaposition between Jonathan and Saul. Saul sitting under a fruit tree, indulging himself. Jonathan climbing the mountains in order to prove his God is faithful and to prove the righteousness of God. Him, not me. And it's a battle that we are all so familiar with, namely, my glory versus his glory. And Jonathan was focusing on God's glory, not his own glory. Now, at the risk of sounding too vulnerable or authentic, I know sometimes it's hard for people to hear like their pastor be so real, and I, I understand all that, and I just ask you to prepare yourselves for, for what I'm about to say, but sometimes it's just hard to understand. Hey, our pastor's human, his family's human, but it's true. We are, I have the same sin nature that you have. Struggle with the same kind of anxiety that you might struggle with in life. Many of you know that five years ago, the Hurtado family went through the most distressing time of our lives. Very difficult time. My wife had suffered a nervous breakdown. Our marriage was in flux. Our family was in flux. Uh, our ministry was in flux. I'm so thankful for this church for standing, through, standing with us throughout that whole thing. Our elders, prayerfully standing with it. I can imagine what people, what's going on in that home for this to happen? Who knows what was coming to people's minds? It was during that season that I committed, made a commitment to walk towards Jesus. I'm not trying to say that this was easy. Believe me, there was a lot of ups and downs through that whole time, wrestling with God, wondering why is this happening? But I had committed to walk towards Jesus no matter what. Whatever happens, I'm walking towards Jesus. I tried to model that for my family and for myself, really, more than any, for the church. I don't want to worry about anybody except for my family and, and the Lord. What many probably don't know is that I really had a great conflict inside with whether or not I should tell my brother and sister what was going on. I had a brother and a sister who at the time, uh, no Christian worldview at all. And I thought to myself, if I tell this to them, when they have no framework for a Christian worldview, surely they're going to think to themselves, well, if it doesn't work for the pastor, then it obviously doesn't work. You can't, like, stand and, like, position yourself as the, the person who believes in this thing, and it's not working for you, right? Like, obviously it's going to turn them further away from God, was my thought. And I waited a couple weeks because of this concern, and then I just decided, no, you made a commitment to walk towards Jesus authentically. And that means you just need to tell them and let God deal with whatever the fallout is. And so I did, told them what was going on, didn't know where things were gonna land. Fast forward four years later and my brother is now a follower of Christ, formerly an antagonistic atheist. Um, he remarks to me, the discussion that, that won him over to desiring Christ was the discussion in that time where I was sharing with him how fragile my marriage was, how I was gonna stay and walk to Jesus and how I was gonna stay and wait for her and ask that God would bring her back to her senses. 
The thing that I thought was gonna push him away was the thing that was drawing him to God. I got a text from my brother last week I, I wanna share with you. I don't know if you were here at last week's message, but it was kind of impassioned at the very end. And he writes me this text message. I was pretty moved by the end there. You're right, I shouldn't give up. I should keep humble and keep the faith in God's plan and all glory be to him whether things work out or not. I never could have imagined in 25 years of being a believer in Christ that I would ever receive a text like that from my brother. You see, the mark of genuine, authentic Christianity, the mark of Christian maturity in your faith is when you can see every situation in life, every challenge in life as an opportunity to glorify God and not yourself. I don't know if this is gonna work out for me. I don't know if it works out nice. I don't know if it works out pretty, but I know that how I handle this situation, God can be glorified. And if you can wrap your head around that and live in that principle that I'm telling you, you are a believer in Christ and a mature believer in Christ at that. And here's my brother who years ago wasn't saved texting that to me. I don't know that I would have signed up for this story had God given me a chance to choose prior to it happening. But God knew what he was doing the whole time. You see, in a, when God comes through in a moment of great distress and in response to great faith, he gets the glory. I'm not promising that you'll get out of this mess, but I am promising you the way you handle it can glorify God, and that is the chief end of man. That's our goal, to glorify him, and no matter what setting you're in, that's your focus. Get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes on him, and get your eyes on his glory. And no matter what the situation, you go, oh, that's achievable. I don't know if this is going to work out, but he can get glory out of it, and that's a goal that I can achieve. Get you something to look forward to in the midst of all the craziness of what you're going through. If you're here this morning and maybe you're new to this thing and you're thinking, man, I feel compelled to move forward. I feel compelled to do something. Like I, I feel like God's drawing me, but I don't know what, what, what I'm supposed to do next. I would, just, I would just tell you that your first step is to say yes to Jesus. That's the first step. You can't glorify God without saying yes to Jesus. You believe on him and his life a perfect life that you could never live, that he would die on the cross for your sinful activity and mine. In fact, the sinful activity of the whole world, and God would look on that sacrifice and say, I am satisfied with that. Place his wrath on the very shoulders of Jesus Christ, and then give us his righteousness so that you, when you stand before God, God goes, I know everything you've done past, present, or even what you are gonna do in the future, but I've looked past it because I view through the lens of Jesus Christ and his blood. All I see is perfection even though I know everything you've done. That's the good news of the gospel. And when you say yes to Jesus, you glorify God. Because he says, you've accepted my son. 
and now I accept you as family as well. That's your first step. You say yes to Jesus, and then you live the rest of your life trying to glorify him, no matter if there's ups or downs. I will not, I will not be one of those preachers that tells you, if you accept Jesus, your life will be better. I will not say it. I don't know it to be true. 11 out of the 12 disciples died for what they believed. But I, what I will tell you is if you come to know Christ, you have the opportunity to glorify your heavenly Father. And that's our purpose on this earth. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we are grateful for stories that remind us that you are in control. <laughs> we are grateful for stories that remind us even in this, the distress, and even though we may not have come through the way I thought you should have or would have, or, or it didn't pan out the way I thought things were gonna pan out, you still have a purpose, you still get glory, you, you still know what you're doing, you, you still have a master plan, so to speak, and it may not fit exactly the way I thought it was gonna fit, but you get glory through it. And then I can look back years later and go, oh, that's what you were doing this whole time. Of course I should trust you. Of course I should believe in you. You come through just in the nick of time, just when you're supposed to, so that you get all the glory. And my job is just to be a reflection of your glory, just to reflect back up to you the glory of God, the purposes of God whether I find fellowships in the sufferings of Jesus Christ or not on this earth, my job is to glorify you. Help us to be excited about that purpose of giving you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You know, this uh, message today reminds me of John 4, 4, where it says, greater he who is in you than he who is in the world. As believers in Christ, we have Jesus in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit. When we face troubles and distressing times and difficulties, which we all will because we live in a broken and sinful world, we're going to face this kind of stuff. We have Jesus to walk with us. Why wouldn't we turn to him and include him in our troubles? That doesn't mean everything's going to work out. Like Pastor David said, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, we pray for people to be healed and they die anyways. But you know what? We can't believe in heaven and at the same time get mad when people go there, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> so, um, but, um, you know, if you're here and, and you prayed with Pastor David to receive Jesus for the first time, you have him in your life now as well. And when you let us know that that's happened, you can do that by going to campcc.net and click on next steps and fill out the form there if you're joining us online. If you're here in person, uh, you can go to the welcome counter and let them know on the left-hand side of the lobby on your way out. We just want to be here on this journey towards Christ with you and help you understand what it means to be a follower. All right, we're going to receive our offering now. Uh, this is how we worship God. It's an important part of our life as a believer as we want to honor what the scriptures say in giving. Um, there's three ways to participate, as you can see on the screen, either online, via text, or the offering box in the lobby. Um, um, as you give, just know that's what supports everything we do here, include all of our ministries, including our missions. Um, and we remember last week we prayed for Team Romania. I wanted to remind you guys, continue praying for them. Uh, we dropped them off at the airport on Friday. They've made it there. Uh, camp starts tomorrow morning. Will they be uh, ministering and sharing the gospel with orphan kids? All right, before you go, if you haven't seen 
our most wonderful uh, video we've ever made is coming up next. Here it is. Hey, Camp CC. I'm Molly Kibble, and I serve in the children's ministry here. I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you are a first-time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out on both sides, and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or you can scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can pray for you. If this is your second time filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter, and it's yours. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of cool things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite to come and check us out? August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the island of Catalina. This will be a week you do not want to miss. We have some spots left and you don't want to wait, so register now at camcc.net slash Catalina. Or for more info, contact Jacob at camcc.net. August 13th, Awana registration begins. Awana is a fun, engaging Bible club for kids ages three years through high school. Registration can be done online at camcc.net slash Awana or on the church patio. Awana begins on September 7th. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights of encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early and grab a seat. And kids, check this out. Birth through PK is PJs and popcorn. Come in your pajamas and K through 5th, back to school bash. We're talking worship, scavenger hunt, and root beer floats. This is a night you won't want to miss. For more info, contact Katie at campcc.net. October 20th through 22nd, Women's Retreat. Save the date, ladies. It will be here before you know it. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name is Jacob Salas. I'm the middle school pastor here at CamCC. And today something that, uh, that just really impacted me in the message was this idea of resting in the reality that God holds our lives, even in the distressing times, and that he is constantly working things out for his glory. Um, if you guys are standing next to an empty seat, I want to remind you guys to invite somebody to come with you next week. Uh, there's no greater gift that you could give to a person than the gift of Jesus. So bring them here next week. Uh, remember, if you want prayer, we have some prayer warriors that are willing to pray with you here today. So if you would just come up to the front of the stage, we'll have some people out here that are uh, ready and willing to pray with you. And join us on the patio for coffee and donuts. We'll see you next week.